0: What's up, y'all? My name is Hunter, and I'm excited to be here tonight with y'all. Um, so, got a question for y'all. So, what is, uh, what do Donald Trump, um, Conor McGregor, and Russell Westbrook have in common? Pride, right? Pride, and um, you know, no matter whether you love them or where you land on the map, we can all agree that at times, pride. Uh, can make anyone and everyone look foolish, you know, and at times when pride seeps into our heart, it makes us look the same way, foolish. And um, so I think uh, we're going to be in John, 1 John 2 and looking at verse 16, and we're going to be talking about overcoming the pride of life and what pride means, what the pride of life means, and kind of some practical ways to, you know, overcome it. And so um, first of all, I'm going to talk about pride. So Uh, It's a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, the achievements of those with one um, whom is closely associated, or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. And uh, the sin of pride, which we see a lot in God's word, is a heart attitude expressed in an unhealthy, exaggerated attention to self, and an elevated view of one's abilities, accomplishments, position, or possessions. Pride has also been referred to as the cancer of the soul uh, the beginning of all sin, and sin in its final form. And so, uh, and the Bible mentions the word pride around 58 times. And so I'm going to uh, read 1 John 2, 16. It says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And so we see this concept of the pride of life. And it's a little bit different than pride, but it still kind of goes along the same meaning. And it's defined as anything that is of the world, anything that leads to arrogance, pride and self, uh, boasting. Um, it's mentioned only once in the Bible, but the concept occurs in two other significant passages when Eve is tempted in the garden and when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. And so um, flip over to, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, when uh, Satan is tempting Eve to eat the fruit of the forbidden tree. Uh, it says for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So we see that Eve coveted the fruit in three ways. The first way um, was by uh, she saw that the food was looked good for food, right? And that falls under the lust of the flesh. Um, where she um, it was appealing to her appetite, and it was the desire she had the desire for that which satisfies uh her, uh, her physical temporary needs, and so the second one, um, she saw that the food the fruit was pleasing to the eye, and this one falls under the temptation that we see in First John, uh, the lust of the eyes, um, that which we see and desire to own or possess, and then the third one. Uh, she saw that the fruit was desirable for gaining wisdom to make her like God. And uh, this one is, falls under the pride of life, which is what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, she saw the fruit would make her wise, giving her a wisdom beyond her own. And um, she wanted to be like God. And the essence of the pride of life um, is it's anything that exalts us above our position, uh, above our place, um, Anything that stalks us above our place and offers the illusion of godlike qualities wherein we boast in our arrogance and our worldly wisdom, not godly wisdom. Um, and when Jesus was in the wilderness for forty days, uh, Satan also tempted him using these same three types of temptation. So he was tempted with the lust of the flesh, where Satan said, "Hey, if you turn this, if you turn these stones into bread, you know you can feed yourself, satisfy your hunger, but he Uh, resisted the temptation, and then uh, the second one was the lust of the eyes. Satan said, if you just bow down to me, all the kingdoms with their splendor will be yours. He again resisted the temptation, and then the third one was the pride of life, where Satan dared Jesus to cast himself from the roof of the temple uh, in order to prove that he was the Messiah by a display of power that was one not in God's plan, not God's will, or in his plan for redemption uh, for mankind. And so Perhaps the most evil temptation uh, is the pride of life. It's also the same sin that resulted in Satan's expulsion from heaven because he desired to be God, not a servant of God. Um, and the pride of life, we see that it motivates the other two, uh, the other two temptations, as it seeks to elevate itself above all others um, and fulfill all personal desires. It causes conflicts in families, churches, nations. Um, It exhausts the self in direct contradiction to Jesus' statement where he says we must, uh, uh, in order to follow him, we must take up our cross, an instrument of death, and deny ourselves. Um, And the pride of life stands in the way, uh, stands in our way if we truly seek to be obedient servants of God. And so, um, in the pride of life, uh, we see that it comes not from the Father, um, like verse 16 says, comes not from the Father but from the world. And uh, second. and the pride of life uh, in verse 17 goes on to say, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So just like the world, the pride of life is passing away with the world. But those who resist and overcome the temptation of the pride of life do the will of God. And those who do the will of God, as the verse says, live forever. So the, um, question is, how do we overcome the pride of life? You know, how do we practically overcome the pride of life? And it's really going to be pretty simple. Um, what I'm going to be going through is just simple but effective spiritual disciplines. Uh, and so, uh, what we're first going to look at is number one, in order to overcome the pride of life, we need to spend time with the Lord daily, spend quality time with the Lord. Um, in Joshua 1, uh, 8 says, uh, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you are to meditate on it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And I was actually on the phone with, I don't know, most of y'all know Corey O'Hara, and he was talking to me last night, and he was like, man, if you want to stay, and he says, pride is conquered at the feet of Jesus, first of all. And he said, man, if you want to stay at the feet of Jesus, you got to stay in the words of Jesus. And I think that's so important. And the time that we spend with the Lord uh, truly does make a difference in the way that we walk, the way that we talk, the way we see things and live our lives throughout the course of our day. And I'm going to be honest, I really struggled in the month of March to spend quality time with the Lord. Like, I felt like so overwhelmed by my schedule. I felt like, uh, I was going to school, track, work, repeat over and over, and I would get home late and finish homework, and then I would go to bed late, miss my quiet time in the morning, and like I was setting myself up for failure by not one managing my time wisely, but also um, uh, not managing my time wisely and not prioritizing God's word in the morning. But, and so I knew that if I didn't go to it in the morning, then it would be either in the afternoon um, or at night, you know, the last thing I do. And so, but I really struggled to just spend quality time with the Lord. And, uh, but I knew that at some point during the day, it was going to happen, you know. I, and I think like going through the day with that mindset that no matter what happened that day, I was going to spend time with the Lord, whether it be in the morning or the afternoon or the night, really helped me get through the day, I guess, and gave me some more courage and confidence to keep going um, and spend time with Him. But I remember I was on the phone with Noah. Noah Simmons a couple weeks ago, and I was like, man, like, I'm just struggling. I'm just really struggling to, you know, spend time with the Lord and, um, and be wise in the way I'm managing my time, and he was like, man, you might be struggling right now, but he says, the fact that you, um, he said, the fact that you go to God's Word, you know, at the end of, the, at the end of a long day, uh, he says, at least that's how you know it's important to you, that it's real for you, that no matter what happens, you still find your way back to God's word um, throughout the course of the day. And so um, that's the uh, first big one. Spending quality time with the Lord daily is so important. Um, And then uh, go on to number two. Um, Second way to overcome the pride of life is through prayer. And Colossians 4 verse 2 um, says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, being watchful and thankful, staying alerted with Thanksgiving. Um, I remember I saw the Vinnie Valcine War Room, movie War Room. I'm not sure when it came out, you know, three or four years ago. But I remember as soon as I saw that movie and after I, you know, got finished watching, I was like, I want my closet to look like that. You know, I was like, I want to have that kind of prayer life, disciplined, real, you know, spend quality time with the Lord and prayer, uh, be diligent and disciplined in brands to the Lord um, and I remember like, you know, it's going to happen. I got to do this. Um, and I remember like first couple of weeks went by and I wasn't really seeing any big progress in my prayer, prayer life. You know, I didn't have like papers and pictures all hung up in my closet of prayers. And I was like, you know, what's, what's happening? You know, how come my prayer life doesn't look like that, even though I'm trying and I'm trying, I'm trying. And I think one thing that we have to realize is that from something like that, where, um, Takes hours and hours and hours and years and years and years of prayer, uh, and I think like that was something that really discouraged me, you know, because I wanted something quick, easy, simple, immediate, and I was like, you know, where do I even start? Where do I even start? But I think the important thing is that we not worry so much about where to start, but that we just do start, you know, um, when we just start somewhere and try and make it a consistent discipline, add into our daily routine. Um, and devote a special time to the Lord in prayer, I think it can really turn into something special, you know? And one thing that I've been doing recently uh, has kind of helped me stay on track with that is I've got these little cards right here. And I love these little cards. And y'all are going to see more of them later. But, um, and like, I've been writing, like, you know, whether it's my friend's name at the top or, you know, Memphis or United States or persecuted Christians or family members, mom, dad, I'll write a name or title at the top. And then um, I'll go through and write scripture references underneath the name or title. And whenever I go to these prayer cards, I'll just pray for that friend or family member, persecuted Christian around the world. And I'll go to these scripture references and just pray it. And that's one thing that's kind of helped me recently to keep me accountable in my prayer life and being disciplined and diligent in that. And I'm hoping that, you know, the more that I continue to make these cards and, you know, I just want to see where it goes. I want to be diligent and disciplined to um, make time for prayer, you know, because I think that's something that definitely I struggle with uh, big time. And so, uh, but that's kind of where I'm starting with that. Um, I think it's so important, like when we pray to not, like I said, to not get discouraged about like, oh, you know, I don't pray as much as I should. It's probably where a lot of us are, but don't get discouraged. If you just start somewhere, then you'll be surprised to see where it can take you. Um, and then also... Uh, I think when we pray, you know, we need, when we pray, we need to believe and have faith that what we're saying is actually making a difference and that God is hearing our prayers and he wants to answer our prayers, you know, according to his will. Um, like in James, it says, uh, it tells us to ask in faith, right? Believing that what we've asked he's going to do for us. And uh, it's like, what's the point of praying to God if we don't expect him to do what we ask? You know, if we don't expect him to do what we ask. And so, um, I think that's so important to remember as we, uh, one, don't get discouraged about your prayer life, but find a simple, consistent way that you can corp- incorporate into um, you know, starting off your prayer life and then uh, believe that, what you're t- that your words to the Lord are making a difference. Um, and then the third thing that I would say uh, is so important is to memorize Scripture, Scripture memory. Psalm 119, one, uh, 97 Um Says how I love your instruction; it is my meditation all day long, and um, you know, scripture memory it just renews our mind, and it's like filling ourselves with the things of God. You know, treasuring God's word in our heart um, and filling us with Him. Uh, it, like it changes the way we think. You know, it changes the way we think uh, and the way we live. Um, and like Colossians three two uh, says, you know. Um, Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things, and I think like that's what that means, you know, to uh, treasure God's word in your heart and in your mind, and um, consistently meditate on it throughout the day. Another thing I've been doing recently um, with these little verse cards, uh, like you know, whenever I have my quiet time or some point during the day, I'll write, you know, one or two verses on here uh, or on a couple cards, and then uh, I'll take them to school with me, and um, as I go through, you know, at the beginning of each class, I'll just pull them out and, you know, read two or three of them and, uh, just pray through it a few times. And then, you know, I'll just do schoolwork, you know, just do it at the beginning of class. But that's, I think I go to seven classes. And so if I forget, you know, at least twice or at least, you know, five times that I'll get to it. Um, But you'd be so surprised to see uh, that like how close you are to memorizing those verses by just the end of one day, you know, of just like literally like a minute Um, just throughout the course of your day. When you go to God's word, uh, I think it really changes, um, you know, our perspective and our mindset and the way that we go through our day. It's like a quiet time in the morning is what sets the tone for the course of our day Um, is how like we get our mind right. But I think, like, what this verse is saying, it is my meditation all day long. Um, Like, the quiet time in the morning is what prepares us for the day and gets our mind right. But uh, Scripture throughout the day is what keeps our mind right, you know, and keeps us on the right track for the course of the day. Um, So there's just a few uh, things that I've been doing recently. Um, And also, I meet with a few guys every Monday night uh, for discipleship and, you know, talking talking about life and praying and uh, going through God's word together, memorizing scripture. And Malachi here is, uh, he, he's been coming and, or we've been meeting together for a while, known him for a really long time. Um, but one of the things we've been doing, we've been memorizing James and Malachi has really set aside a lot of time and become disciplined and diligent in memorizing God's word and treasuring God's word in his heart. Um, and he's actually got the first chapter of James down and is like halfway through with the second. Um, And so I just want him to, you know, give a quick little overview of it. So why don't you start at verse, you know, 19 and go through the end at 27. And if you want to quiz him afterwards, so I'm not lying to you, then go for it. He'll he'll be here with me. But um, go ahead.
1: Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the of word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world.
0: Nice job. Let's give a hand for Malachi. Um, i go back down. Thank you. Uh, I think it's so awesome to see how he's put time and time and hours and hours in of memorizing God's word and treasuring God's word in his heart. Um, and so like, I'm going to go back to verse uh, 16. First John 2:16 says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the father, but from the world. Um, and so these are just a few practical ways that I think we can all, you know, apply to our lives and um, become more diligent and disciplined in our walk with the Lord uh, and as Sydney comes up to kind of wrap things up and uh, reflect on what we've heard, uh, I just wanted to keep in mind, it's not going to be easy to overcome the pride of life, one of the most evil temptations, but it'll definitely be worth it, all for the glory of God, this kingdom.
2: So tonight, like I said, we're going to be talking about what it means to display Christ-like humility. The passage we're going to be going to, which you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to, is Philippians 2, verses 3 through 11. Before we go into this, a little context about this passage. So basically, um, Paul is writing this passage, and while he's writing it, he's basically, he's imprisoned for a false accusation. He's imprisoned for something that he didn't do, and he's writing to the Philippians because he hears that they are in discord. He hears that they are in disagreement. So he's writing to them that they might live in unity, and tonight, rather than using this passage to look at unity, we're going to be looking at the root of unity, which I believe to be Humility. Tonight, we're going to be looking at what it means to follow Christ humbly according to the Bible. Different, um, different websites, different, um, different places will give you different definitions of the word humility. Some you might find as a modest or low view of one's, impo- one's own important humbleness, freedom from pride or arrogance, the quality, of state, quality or state of being humble, Except tonight, we're going to look at what the Bible says true humility is. And We're going to do this in two ways. First, we're going to be looking at who Christ is. We're going to be looking at the character of Christ and how that should develop humility in the hearts of a believer. And then we're going to be looking at what Christ did. We're going to be looking at the we're going to be looking at the gospel and saying, "Okay, how are the actions of Christ supposed to lead me as a believer into humility?" So begin reading with me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 is where we're going to camp out for this first part. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In these, in these first few verses, we get such a solid picture of what biblical humility really is. Not only is it thinking less of yourself, but biblical humility means to do nothing from selfish ambition, to count others more significant than ourselves, to look at the interest of others before our own. And we must recognize there's a phrase at the end of verse five that says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Whenever I first read this passage, I began to think like, you know, wow, Paul is such a profound guy. Like I love these words that he's saying to the Philippians, but this this verse changes everything. Paul is telling them, don't just just think of yourself less. Don't just do nothing from salvation, ambition, or conceit. Don't just be humble because I'm telling you. But he says, do this because because it is that of Christ Jesus. He's saying, don't don't take what I'm saying as a word for myself. Take it from Jesus. I think it's such a divine, really, look at what true discipleship should be. Not not saying, follow, follow these methods because that's what I'm telling you. Rather saying, man, I'm going to encourage you to do it this way because that's how Christ did it. Um, so we see that humility is doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, counting others more significant than ourselves and looking to the interest of others more than ourselves because that is what Christ Jesus did. About four or five weeks ago, our student ministry had the opportunity to, while we were in the gym, have a night of worship and prayer we began praying through different names of gods, prayed through Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sidkenu. Um, we began praying through these names of God and just simply praising God for all that he, all, all, of who he is. And towards the end of the night, um, after we're done praying, after we're still singing song, people are walking around. We're, we're writing down these lies that the devil has given us and we're throwing them away saying and replacing them with scripture. We're, we're surrendering our lives to the Lord through... Um, do whatever that might mean for different people. And as this is happening, I'm standing against the side of the room with Christian and he leans over to me and he's just, and he's just saying like, "It's like, man, what you thinking? When I tend to think, if you know me well, you know, whenever I'm, it's, it's always very clear whenever I'm thinking. A lot of times I'll just, I'll just sit and kind of stare off into space. Um, and that's what I was doing. So Christian leans over to me. He's like, man, what you thinking? And I'm like, man, it's, it's crazy that there's a name that demands this kind of reverence. It's crazy that there's a name that can put such a people on their knees. I ask him, I'm like, what you thinking? And he was like, man, it's crazy. He said something along the lines and he can help me out. Uh, I said something along the lines. He was like, man, it's, it's wild that only at the name of Jesus should people bow. Only at the name of people, only at the name of Jesus should p- people confess. And I think I'm not telling you guys this to, so that you might know something that me or Christian were thinking, but I tell you guys this so that those of you who are in the room that night can have a visual interpretation of what this idea of Jesus really humbling His people looks like. In that night, we began praising God for all that who He for all of who He is, and in that we couldn't help but be humbled by His character. That said, I believe a believer in true side of the character of Christ should be humbled. Right. So often people say, "Lord, humble me. Lord, I want to live in humility." But in reality, so often we don't, we don't really understand the legitimacy of that statement. I mean, are you really willing to do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit? Are you really willing to drop your own interest for the interest of others like Christ calls us to? And I think in Jehovah um, Sidkenu, is one of the names we talked about that night, in Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, For none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. For no one does good, not even one. So often, I think, whenever we say we're, we're struggling with pride, so often whenever we say we want to live more in humility, we begin to think that that means beginning to think less of ourselves. There's a, there's a pastor who said, um, and I don't remember his name, there's a pastor who said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, however, it's simply thinking of yourself less. And I think so often whenever we want to live in humility, we adjust our own view of ourselves rather than adjusting our view of God. And I think that's something we need to hold tight to tonight is that humility is 100% dependent upon our view of God. We can't alter our view of ourselves in order to live in humility. but We need to alter our view of God. The bigger we see God to be, the smaller we can't help but realize we are. Whenever we truly understand the character of Christ, that is when we most understand the, um, the victim of sin that we really are. So Christ develops humility through his character. As we look at who Christ is, we as believers can't help but be humbled. The next thing we're going to be looking at tonight is how God develops humility through his gospel. We've looked at who Christ is. We know that he is a God who counts our wants above his own. We, he's a God who does nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We know that he is a God that demands reverence, that demands humility. Now we're going to begin to take a look at what he has done that should develop humility in the heart of a believer. Read with me verses 6 through 11. Who, though he, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These verses give us such a clear picture of the legitimate gospel. Starting in verse six, it says, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Basically what this is saying is that because Jesus was literally breathed by God, from the, second, from the second he was born, he had every divine right to use his deity to simply exercise his own will. He had every right to simply come to earth and have things go exactly according to his will, except no, he had the interest of others in sight. Rather than looking to his own interest, he had our interest in sight. So he gave up all of his own rights. I'm sorry. So he gave up all of his own rights so that we might live. He made himself into a servant. He had, the, he had the top position imaginable, yet he put himself to the lowest of standards. Verse six, I'm sorry, verse seven. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being in the likeness of man and be, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So Christ, from the moment he was born, was obedient to God, And Christ, unlike any of us, followed in that obedience through his whole life. He lived perfectly. We see in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26, it says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will a a man profit if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? These verses are exactly what Christ did. It's he was, that he was born, he lived perfectly, and he followed in obedience all the way to the point of the cross. And so often we say, wow, you know, Jesus is incredible. But in, re, in reality, Matthew 16 is saying that we're called to the same obedience. For the moment we come to the knowledge of Christ, we are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Think of the legitimacy of that statement. Take up your cross and follow him. That's literally asking you. I think this, I said this a few weeks back when, during our worship night. The reality of the phrase saying take up your cross is literally asking you to pick up a device of torture and follow this man until you die. It's quite an absurd statement whenever you really think about it. But that is the kind of obedience that we are called to. And that is the kind of obedience that Christ never once failed to convey to the God the Father. But not only did Christ live perfectly, not only did he follow in obedience his entire life, but he died innocently. Christ lived his whole life in perfection, and then he died a death that me and you deserved. He lived his life in such a way that me and you might have a way out, that has ended in the crucifixion. He's ended in a death that he didn't deserve, but that we deserved but where the glory of the gospel really takes place is not only did he live perfectly, not only did he die innocently, but he rose again victoriously, holding the keys to death, holding the keys to to the grave, and holding the keys to sin, that we might live in eternity with him. And these are the actions of Christ that should truly develop humility in the heart of a believer. You want to be humbled by Christ? Go to him saying, Lord, help me take up my cross and follow you. Lord, I want to give up all that I am for all that you are. So tonight, um, I want to share one more thing. Romans 12:1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and your proper form of worship. I think, in my, I think that this is the perfect practice of humility, you want to say you, be, you want to become humble, man, let us, let us look back to God's mercy. Let us look to how Christ is. Let us look to all that he's done. And inside of that, offer our bodies a living sacrifice to him. I was saved at a young age, like many of us. And for years, I followed the Lord. And um, for years, I followed the Lord in such a way, similar to when I did before. You know, when I was, when I was young, I grew up in the church I grew up reading scriptures. I grew up praying. So whenever I truly gave my life to the Lord, I was around the age of eight. Whenever I truly gave my life to the Lord, my, my life didn't look radically different than that of a believer's. You know, this continued from the time I was eight all the way till about my freshman year. You know, I continued praying. I continued, you know, reading scriptures. You know, but the, there wasn't much growth. There wasn't, there wasn't much that I could say of my relationship with Christ. And it wasn't until I read Romans 12, 1, that I realized that it was simply because I wasn't willing to put down my own wants for his. It says, therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercies to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I simply asked myself, you know, I began f- getting frustrated with God saying, you know, Lord, I've, you know, I've believed in your scriptures. You know, I've, I've done everything that I believe I need to do. However, I haven't seen any growth in years. And it was simply because I wasn't really, I wasn't truly willing sacrifice all that I am for all that he is. I believe that there's a group of people in the night people in this room tonight who might say, "Yes, I'm a believer." In fact, some of you may have even followed the followed the Lord for years on end. And for this group of people tonight, I say I say this. But let our prayer be that if there's anything that is distracting us from truly understanding all that Christ is and all that he's done, Let us leave it at the cross tonight. Let us leave this place with a a full capacity of knowledge of who Christ is and what he's done, that we might be humbled inside of it. There's also a group of people people in the room tonight who might have never quite nailed down their salvation. Tonight we've gone through the true gospel, the fact that Christ, he lived a life of perfection. He died a death of innocence. And he resurrected victoriously, giving us a way out, giving us a way um, to fully experience an eternal glory. And for this group of people tonight, if you've never quite nailed down your salvation, the scriptures say today is the day of salvation. I don't say this to scare you into a decision that you might not be ready for or a decision that you don't mean. However, I tell you this, and I think any other believer in the room would tell you this, that you might be able to right now begin living a life in the joy of the Lord, and that you might experience the eternal glory that is promised to be waiting for you. And I think there's a last, there's a last group of people in the room tonight who might say, you know, you know my, my spiritual walk with the Lord has never been where it's at right now. It is at such a peak right now. You might say, it's been better than it's ever been. For this group of people tonight, I simply say, the gospel of Jesus Christ demands humility. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands humility. And that goes for everyone in the room tonight. If you get anything out of tonight, let it be this. The name of God demands humility, and humility demands obedience. The humility that comes from knowing Christ demands us to follow God the same way that Jesus did. It demands us to give up all that we are for all that he is. It demands us to pick up our cross and follow him day in and day out despite the trials that might come our way.